following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Well, good morning, church. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Anoj, and I have the, uh, the privilege of sharing from God's Word with you this morning. Um, I also have the privilege of starting our new sermon series. Um, you would have seen on social media, perhaps in the past week or so, we're starting a new series entitled Promises Jesus Made. And we're looking at things that Jesus himself says, promises he gives to us as his believers, as his church. Now, I wonder if, just for a moment, you can just think about the way the world is today, right? I remember, some of you know, I love watching the news. It's, it's probably a bad habit. But I, I remember so many times I sit down and watch the news and story after story after story, it's just filled with things, stories of destruction, of war, of sad news. You turn on the news and you hear about floods in New South Wales and in Queensland, people losing their lives and their livelihoods. The next story comes up and then we're talking about the, the war in Europe, in, in Ukraine between Russia and um, and Ukraine. And if that's not enough, it comes back to home and you hear about crime that's been committed in our city. And finally, you get to the second part of the bulletin and then you hear about this thing called COVID-19, which is now on the second part of the, the news because it's so, uh, there's so many other things happening in our world. And that's just in the world, right? But what about even in our personal lives? We have, um, so many of us are facing sicknesses or, or death of loved ones. We are facing loss of jobs or, or possessions or something difficult like that. It's so easy in those moments to feel that fear, to feel like we're being shaken in some way. And so the question then beckons, how can we remain firm in the midst of that? And so this series, we're looking at the, the promises that Jesus made, and we're looking at how by seeing what Jesus himself says, how that gives us hope, courage, and uh, security to stand firm in the midst of, um, of very turbulent circumstances. And so this morning, the, the focal promise that we're looking at is Jesus' promise to come again, his second coming. And I want you, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me to Revelation chapter 22. Yes, I'm just as nervous as you are about going through Revelation because it's quite complicated, um, but we're going to have a go at it this morning. And for, for way of context, I know if you've read Revelations, chances are it's very, very confusing at times. Stories of beasts and bowls and judgment and all kinds of things. But to suffice to say, in general, we get to the point where in chapter 21, we see a glimpse of what the long-term plan is. What God has revealed, the things that are going to happen at the end times. Um, and from chapter 21, we see a depiction of that. And we get to chapter 22, um, and this is what we read. We're going to read the, the whole chapter. It's 21 verses. Um, so read along with me, chapter 22 of Revelation. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light. 
and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophet, sent his angels to show his servants the things that must soon take place. This is what Jesus says. He says, look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy written in this scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one, let, sorry, let the one who does right continue to do right. And let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. I give to eat, and I give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may go through the city, go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of water, of the water of life. I want everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from the scroll, from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. So this morning, what we're going to look at is Jesus' promise that he says that he is coming soon. We know that he came about 2,000 odd years ago, but he says he's going to come again. And that's the promise we're looking at this morning. In particular, what we're going to do is we're going to do three things as we unpack that. Well, first, we're going to look at the good news of this promise. Why is it? That Jesus saying he's going to come back soon. Why is that good news for us? Why should we care? Then we're going to look at our response to the promise. In light of this good news, how should we appropriately respond here and now today? And then finally, we're looking at the warning of the promise. What is it in Jesus' words that we ought to stand up and listen in terms or by way of a warning that he gives? So we're looking at the good news, our response, and a warning. Let me pray and then we can dive into it. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is relevant in, across all time periods. And we thank you that it speaks today um, equally so, Father. And we pray that as we unpack this passage, Lord, that you open up all of our hearts to hear what your word says. I pray that you guard my tongue as well and help me to be faithful to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we're looking at is the good news of the promise. Why is it that when Jesus says, I am coming soon, why is that good news? As I mentioned before, in chapter 21, we, we start to get a, a bit of a glimpse of the long-term plan. 
right? We get an idea of what eternity might look like. I don't know about you, but for me, when I was younger, both age-wise and um, in my faith, I used to think that eternity was some sort of place where we, we float around like spirits singing praises to God, right? We think of heaven and eternity as being that. And for some of us, that sounds like great news, but for others, it maybe doesn't. But whatever your view is, what we see starting in chapter one is that God reveals that it's going to be so much more than that. There's going to be a physical, tangible place of existence for eternity. And in chapter 21, the apostle John starts by describing what that city looks like as best he can. He talks about it um, being made of fine jewels or being made of pure gold, being a place where God dwelt with his people. And then we get to the start of our passage in chapter 22, and it's expanded upon. Let's read again the first five verses of chapter 22. Listen to the description that's given of this future place. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of, that city, of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. There's so much we could draw out from those five verses alone, but I just want to give us three things, three things that we can draw out from those first five verses about what this future place that will come when Jesus comes again, what it'll look like. First, look at verse 3. The first part of verse 3, it says, No longer will there be any curse. Now, if you're familiar with sort of the, the biblical narrative, it's a, it's a throwback almost to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. And we see that when God created the world, He created the world perfect. It was amazing. It was awesome. He created Adam and Eve and the animals and the stars and the, the plants, all of that. And it was wonderful. But Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God. And we're told that since that time, the earth and all humanity has been subjected to the curse. Namely, that sin and corruption and destruction continue to wreak havoc, both in our world, but also in humanity, in our own hearts. And in our passage, what we see in this new earth is that there will be no more curse. That means no more sin, no more pain, no more sickness, no more of any of that. There will be ultimate healing. And the brokenness of this world, the brokenness that we see when we turn on the news or when we read the newspaper or talk to a family member or friend, that brokenness will be no more. Church, I know some of you this morning, you're in a situation or a circumstance where you're experiencing the deepest and the strongest grips or the effects of sin in the world. You're experiencing what it means for this world to be a broken place. Maybe you've been hurt by a close family member or a close friend. Maybe you're feeling that the unfair criticism um, and the, the ridicule that you're getting from certain people around you and that it's breaking you, it's weighing on you. Maybe it's a particular sinful habit that you're struggling with and you just feel like you can't overcome. Perhaps it's your experience of sickness in your body or in the body of a loved one. You're watching them go through or you're watching yourself go through this and it's so hard. 
Maybe there's fear and anxiety about something that you're presently experiencing or you're about to experience. We experience the effects of sin in our world on a day-to-day basis. But the promise here reminds us that as painful and as real and as tangible and as difficult as that is, there is coming a time where that will be a distant memory. The feeling of exclusion, the feeling of pain, the feeling of hurt and of fear will be a distant memory because there's coming a time where the curse will be no more. That's the first aspect we can draw out this morning. And if that wasn't good enough, let's draw out a second one. The second half of verse 3. It says, The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. Again, cast your mind back to the Garden of Eden. We're told that God walked in the garden in the cool of the evening. Adam and Eve had direct access to the presence of God. But when they rebelled, when they chose to sin back in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, when that happened, they were cast away from the presence of God. They were cast out of the, the garden. But we see that in this new earth, in this place that Jesus is going to bring back, we see a restoration. Just imagine for a moment. So often we, we talk about coming into the presence of God. And many of you, no doubt, have had experiences where you've, you felt like you've come into the presence of God through worship or prayer or otherwise, and you've felt that God's really changed you or, or touched your heart in that moment. But just imagine being in a place where you don't just come in for a moment. You're in a place where God dwells with you. His throne is in the same place where you are. God dwells with us, not just for a moment, not just for one worship set or one prayer or one church service, not just for 30 odd years like he was here 2,000 years ago. For all eternity, we get to dwell with God and be in his presence forever. How amazing is that? And then lastly, let's check out verse four, right after that. It says, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Church, no matter what our experiences, I know that none of us have seen God's face directly. We're told way back in Exodus when God spoke to Moses that, again, because of our sin, no one can see the face of God because God is so holy, He's so pure. And because sin is in our hearts, if we were to see the face of God, we, were, we would die for sure. But there it is again in verse 4, a, a restoration or a, a reversal where we will see His face. And we will belong to him. We'll have the deepest intimacy with God that we could ever possibly begin to imagine. Complete access and closeness to God himself. Church, that's only a glimpse. That's just two verses out of the five, let alone all of Revelation and Scripture. But that's a glimpse of what eternity is going to be like. In your Bible, some of of you, depending on your version, the subtitle for chapter 22 at the start is Eden Restored. And that's a really apt summary because it's almost like that where we're going to be in a place where we should have been had Adam and Eve not sinned in the garden. Had sin not come in and corrupted our world, that's a glimpse of what eternity is going to look like. Now, why does that matter today? That's great for the future. That's great to know that someday that's going to happen. But why does that matter today in the midst of the things we go through today? And perhaps I can best explain it through um, illustration. Many of you know that, or you might know that, when I watch a movie, for example, maybe you're on the same boat, when you watch a movie, you've watched it, I'm not a fan of watching that movie again, at least for a long period of time, until I've forgotten what's happened. I don't really like watching a movie again. Now, some of you parents, I know you don't have a choice, because your kids love the movie and it's on repeat, but if it was up to you, maybe you feel the same way. You don't like watching it again, because you know the story. You know what's going to happen. 
But the upside of that is that if you're someone that um, gets really invested in your character, if you're someone that really loves the character of the show or the film that you're watching, knowing the end helps you to ride the waves well, right? That even though things happen in the midst of the movie, you know that the end, things are going to work out. And in the same way, the promise that Jesus is coming back and with his second coming, bringing in this place where we're going to dwell with him for eternity and all of that, that ought to give us perspective. And that's not to say that the pain and the struggles that we have now is, is somehow diminished. No, it's very real. It's very tangible. It's certainly difficult. And I don't want to diminish that in any way, but I want to invite you, if you're there, to consider the beauty of the promise that Jesus promises to come again. And not just that, but to come soon. And when he does, he will ultimately unfold God's great plan for the end times, which results in this place made of fine jewels of gold, where there is no more curse, where we have um, eternal access to God, where death no longer has reign, and where we will know and belong to him in, in completeness. That's the promise this morning. That's the hope that this promise brings and that's our first point this morning that Jesus is coming soon and he will soon bring about this place where there is no more sin and destruction which then begs the question then well then in the here and now how ought we respond how should we live our lives today in light of this promise and the good news how do we go about living that brings us to our second point our response to the promise this morning, what I want us to see is, I want us to, see, to us to see that there's one overarching response to that promise that we ought to have. And then we're going to unpack that a little bit. The main primary way that we ought to respond to the promise is firstly by examining how the Apostle John responded. How did the Apostle John in the book of Revelation here respond when he saw these things? Read verse 8 and 9 again. He says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and, your fellow, and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Worship. That needs to be our overall response. Worshiping God. See, when John saw this vision, when he saw and beheld what was coming, he didn't just offer up a quick, nice prayer or uh, one or two songs, but he fell prostrate. That means face down at the feet of the angel. And the angel says, hey, don't worship me. And he redirects him to worship the one who is worthy of that worship, who deserves that worship, and that is God alone. Worship God. Now, what do we mean by worship? What, what, what is that? What does that mean? I want to suggest to you this morning, church, that worship is more than just eloquent prayers. It's more than singing songs at church on a Sunday. It's more than giving financially God's kingdom. Even though those things are all great, ultimately worship is about the heart. It's about the heart. This is what John Piper says when he um, attempts to define worship. He says, true worship is a valuing or a treasuring of God above all things. True worship is a valuing or treasuring of God above all things. That's our proper response to the promise is to worship God. Now let's get a bit more tangible here. There's one in our passage, there's one main way in which I think we ought to worship God. There's many ways to respond in worship to God, absolutely. There's many ways we can express our love and devotion to the Lord. But there's one which is of first and utmost priority. 
one which precedes the rest and one which really demonstrates ultimately that treasuring and valuing of Jesus. And that is in the repentance of our sins. That is in the turning from living life the way we want to live, chasing the things that we want to chase to build ourselves up, to build our lives. It's a turning away from that, turning away from sin and turning to Christ in repentance. Read with me in verse 14. Listen to what, um, what Jesus himself says. He says, blessed, blessed are those who wash, who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go into the gates of the, into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? Who is it that gets to be part of this new earth? Who is it that gets to inherit this promise when Jesus comes again? It's those who have washed their robes, which refers to those who are in Christ, those who have washed themselves with the blood of Christ. It's those who have chosen to turn away from following false gods, lowercase g, from money, possessions, fame, career, all of those things, and turned to follow God. It's those who recognize their need for salvation, their need for a savior, and recognize and accept that Jesus is that one savior, and they are covered in robes of righteousness because of what Christ has done. That's who gets to inherit it. Church, just just think about it for a moment. Earlier, we we talked about how in Genesis, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, at the end of that, we see how there's so many things that happen. We're, We're cut off from God's presence, cut off from the tree of life. Sin and destruction have come into the world. We're subjected to the curse. But in Revelation 22, there's a reversal of a lot of those things. Which begs the question, what happened between Genesis 3 and Revelation 22? And the answer ultimately is Jesus. In particular, his death and resurrection. See, why is it that we, who were once subjected to the curse, can now have an inheritance in a world that's free of the curse? It's because Jesus became the curse. He became the curse for us when he hung upon the cross. Why is it that those of us who were cut off from the tree of life now have eternal access to this tree of life? Because Jesus hung upon another tree on the cross at Calvary. Why is it that we who were cut off from the presence of God will now have eternal access to him? It's because Jesus went to the cross and experienced that cutoffness for us. Why is it that we can see God's face for eternity when before we couldn't because on the cross as that old hymn says the father turns his face away because Jesus was taking upon our sin our shame the very thing that separated us from him and creating a way for us to have an inheritance with him that is so glorious and so wonderful that we can't even begin to imagine it church how should we respond to this promise by washing our robes, by repenting and coming before the Lord. Whether that be in a whole life sense in terms of turning from living for other things and coming to the Lord and living, choosing to live our lives for Christ. Or if you're already on that journey, maybe it's about repenting daily for the sins that you still commit. Repentance, it's, it's the primary way in which we show our worship to the Lord. So what does that look like for you this morning? Maybe you're here or outside or tuning in online and um, maybe you've been a Christian before, but you've sort of walked away a little bit. Or maybe you've never been a Christian before, and all of this is new to you. If that's your want to invite you to do, as Jesus says, to come and wash your robes. 
to turn to Jesus, turn away from living for all these other things that promise so much but deliver uh, deliver so poorly. Turn away from that. Stop chasing money. Stop chasing career or fame or relationships or these other things that promise so much but instead come and accept Jesus' gift of salvation. But for others of us, those who are already on that journey, who are pursuing Christ and wanting to live their lives for you, the application is still the same. Because although, yes, it's true that when we accept Christ, we are fully justified before the Lord once for eternity, we never outgrow the need to repent. We never outgrow the need to come and confess our sins before the Lord. Because if you're anything like me, I know that's a daily, if not an hourly struggle. To, to recognize that we need to still, as long as we live on this side of the promise, come and repent. Come and and. and lay um, all of our struggles and, and habits and things that we struggle with before the Lord. Perhaps for you this morning, you're struggling with a sinful habit that continues to assault your life. Pornography, gossip, anger, lying, many other things. Insert your word here. The invitation is there. Repent and turn to Jesus. Because those who wash their robes, were told, will have the right to the tree of life and will be able to go through the gates into that amazing city when Jesus comes again. That's our second point this morning. How do we respond? We respond by living lives of worship to the Lord, primarily through our repentance before Him. But church, although it'd be great to finish there, there is a warning. There's a warning that comes with this promise. And I want to, and that brings us to our third point, the warning of the promise. As we've seen, This promise that Jesus is coming again and all of that entails, it's great news. It's something that should cause great joy and excitement in our hearts. But the reality is there's a flip side to it. There's a warning that also comes with it. Jesus says twice, I am coming soon, which conveys the fact that Jesus' return is imminent. Now, again, that's good news for some. But look what else comes with that. Verse 14 to 16 again. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Verse 15. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehoods. There's a warning there too. There's a warning that those who don't wash their robes, those who don't repent, those who don't worship God as a way will be unable to enter that sea on that day. And in biblical language, whenever we see those words of being outside the city or outside the gate, it often symbolizes a sense of exclusion, right? Those inside the, the, the gates were safe. Those outside were not. Those inside the sea were welcomed. Those outside were not. We see time and time again that being outside the city was um, a place of great danger, Lepers were forced to live outside the city. Outside the city was where capital punishment, people being stoned for their sins in the Old Testament law, that's where that happened, outside the city. Bodies, we're told, were burned outside the city. People who were ceremonially unclean were were forced to be outside the camp. And ultimately, crucifixions, including Jesus's, happened outside the city. To be outside signifies being separated, being excluded, being cut off in some way. Now, when Jesus talks about being outside this city in this passage, it's even worse. It's the worst thing possible. 
because we're not just cut off from society. We're not just cut off from other people. We are cut off from God himself for eternity. Inside the city is eternal life and joy, but outside the city is eternal death and destruction. Inside the city, God would dwell with his people, but outside they will be cut off from the presence of God forever. And there's no turning back at that point. There's nothing worse, church, let me assure you. There are so many things that are difficult in this life, but there is nothing worse than being cut off from the presence of God. And for that to happen for eternity, we, can, we can't even begin to imagine what that's like. And church, the reality for some of us, oh, I pray it's not, but perhaps for some of us, unless we repent, we're at risk of facing that reality. Church, the warning is clear as day. The angel said himself in verse 10, he says that, He says, don't seal up the scroll because the day is near. Friends, if you find yourself there this morning, I want to invite you, I want to plead with you to heed the word, the words of this passage. Maybe you've come today because your parents have dragged you or your spouse has dragged you or for some other reason. And maybe you're sitting here and all you can think about is the thing you've got to do later this afternoon, the things you've got to do this week. Maybe you're on your phone right the way through and you just, your heart's not here. Maybe you go through the motions of Christianity. You rock up to church on a Sunday, you pray occasionally, you read your Bible from time to time, but you're, in your heart of hearts, you're not really living for the Lord. You're not really, really living a life of worship to God. Maybe you're chasing other things. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's money or possession, things that might in and of themselves be good things, but they've become ultimate in your heart. Maybe some of us are living lives that we know are sinful and disobedient to the Lord. Maybe we're, we're sleeping with someone who's not our spouse. Maybe we're mixed up with the wrong crowd at school or university, which is causing us to, to live lives that we know and do things that we know don't please the Lord. Or maybe we have very legitimate questions and doubts that we know we need to wrestle with and instead of doing that, we sort of put on the back burner and just go about living our lives and ignore those questions and, those, and wrestling with that. Maybe Susan and the team want to jump up. Church, how often, how often do we procrastinate our walk with Jesus? How often, how many times does the Holy Spirit have to come knocking on the door of our hearts only for us to put him on hold? Only for him, us to say to him, um, you know, metaphorically speaking, that just just wait outside. I'll, I'll get to you when I'm ready. We say we say to ourselves, "I'll get serious about Jesus another day. I'll deal with that sin at another time. Let me get my life together. Let me get my affairs in order, and then I'll think about this Jesus thing." Or maybe worse yet, we're in a place where sin and and the, the way we live our lives is so hard in our hearts that we hear this and we recognize that this is me, and yet. We don't even care. Friend, is that you this morning? Is that where you find your heart this morning? If it is, let me plead with you. Today is the day. Jesus' promise says that he is coming and he's coming soon. And on that day, it will be too late. On that day, we won't have time to make a different decision. And maybe you think to yourself, maybe the enemy says to you, oh, but Jesus said that 2,000 years ago and he still doesn't come. I, I, I'm going to hedge my bets and I reckon I'll be okay for the next 10 years. But church, the Bible says that the reason that God hasn't come yet is because He's patient, not wanting that anyone should perish. Church, the invitation is open. Will you be part of
part of that number that washed their robes. That when Jesus comes again and comes again soon, you'll be part of that number that's taken up into that city that has access to God for eternity, that has access to the tree of life, that has access to a world where there is no more curse, no more sickness, no more pain, no more destruction. We heed the words of the Lord Jesus this morning. Because that's the promise, church, that Jesus is coming soon. Why don't we stand to our feet as we come to a close? And why don't you just take a moment, just take a moment, eyes closed, heads bowed, to, to consider where is your heart at? For some of you, you're pursuing the Lord, and that is awesome. Keep doing it, keep repenting, keep chasing after Jesus, because it will be worth it on that day. But for others of us, maybe we know that we're living lives where our hearts are cold to the Lord, and we're indifferent to it. When we take a moment to pray, I might invite ask the band to, to sing the chorus, and then we'll pray in response to the Lord.
come Lord Jesus. I pray that that would be the cry of every one of our hearts. Lord Jesus, for those who are walking with you, Lord, we want to thank you for your grace in that. We want to thank you that you have done that work in their hearts and continue to do it um, so. And Lord, we pray that they would continue to come before you. They will continue to come and worship you through repentance, through prayer, through songs, through the way that we work Monday to Friday, through the way that we conduct ourselves in relationship. Let all of our lives be worshipped unto you. God, we look forward to being in that number that get to enter into the city and dwell with you for eternity. Father, I pray for any heart this morning that is downtrodden or broken by circumstances that they're facing right now. Father, I pray that they would experience your presence, they would experience your love and your tangible care for them. But I pray you would also help them experience the hope, the hope that we have that you are coming soon, that this world is not the end of the story. There is coming an eternity where the pain and the destruction will be no more. Holy Spirit, help us to cherish this in our hearts. Fix our eyes on the cross so that we may behold the wonder of it and let that be what drives our lives of worship and obedience unto you, Father. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, this morning, if if you feel like God's been speaking to you or tugging at something in your heart, I want to invite you, don't just walk out. Come and, and come to the front, myself or some of our elders will be here to pray for you, to encourage you. If you don't know Jesus and you want to know Jesus for the first time, come and speak to us. If you're online, reach out to the church office during the week. But if not, church, I want to invite you to this morning tea outside. Enjoy fellowship with one another. We'll see you again next week. for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.